Hey, it's Zan Damore, director, journalist, and editor of DirectedByDamore.com. You're about to listen to my interview with radio personality, TV host, and author Charlemagne the God. We're talking about his new book, Black Privilege, and we're breaking down how he was able to overcome poverty, drugs, jail, and being fired four times to become one of the biggest names in his industry. One, for people who want to be authors, can you just kind of give some insight into, um, you know, when was the right time to write this book in terms of like how long did it take you? Um, when were you like initially, did you go to the publisher and say like, hey, this story needs to be told or what did they come to you? And then kind of how long um, did it take you to kind of um, decide? Because you're you're basically an open book and you're very open about uh, things that have gone on in your past. So it did take me a minute to open a book because I'm like, well, what am I going to read that I don't already know? So can you kind of give insight into um, the process of becoming an, an author? Yeah, I mean, um, being an author is something that I always had on my vision board simply because I know the impact that books had on me in my life. Um, you know, now now is the perfect time. I guess I'm going to my going into my 19th year of radio, and I had a concept for a book, and it was called um, "I Don't Give a Fuck and Neither Should You," a self help guide on how not to give a fuck. And I was with Steve Harvey last year, and I was riding around his ranch, and um, I think I had just got the book deal, and I was telling him about it, and Steve was like, "No, no, soldier." Steve was like, "That's that's that's not what." That's not the kind of book you should be doing. He said, man, you come from a place that a lot of people don't come from, and you got a lot of experiences that you've been through that you need to share with these young kids, and you need to give them some lessons. And, you know, when I thought about that, I'm like, yo, he's right. So, you know, that's when I came up with these principles that I've always believed in. It was just a matter of structuring them. And then, you know, the whole the whole title of Black Privilege, I just saw, I just saw where the world was going. And I had been seeing where the world was going for the past few years. I mean, you can go back and listen to old interviews where I was, like, saying things like, you know, they're playing seeds of racism in a generation that wasn't even thinking about it. And then, you know, lo and behold, you start seeing things like Dylan Roof happen with his young kid, 21 years old, who said himself he never even thought about race for the Trayvon Martin trial. And, you know, I was one of those people who was basically denying white privilege, not denying it. Not denying it to the extent that it didn't exist, but just saying, yo, this shit can't affect me. And, you know, I, I, I still feel that way, but I can understand how how back then, how I was coming off. I was coming off almost like I was denying that it, it exists at all, you know, but I understood where the world was going. So I feel like, you know, with the title Black Privilege, I just wanted to empower my people because I come from that, that era of black pride and black power and the black man is God and say a lot, I'm black and I'm proud, like, yo, let's get back to that, let's get back to, let's get back to believing in ourselves, and believing in that black excellence, and believing that, yes, we are a special people, like, so, so, so that was, that was the whole mindset, you know, for me just wanting to be an author, and like, I just feel like, it just, it, it, the timing was perfect, I'm just going into my 19th year radio, this is something that I started working on four years ago, but you know, I didn't get the deal until maybe about, maybe about two years ago, and started really working on it. A year and a half ago, and like you know, now we just got this this finished product that I'm very, very, very proud of, man. And all I want people to do is read this book and be inspired. Read this book and be empowered. Like, like that's it. Nothing more. Nothing less. 
Definitely. I, I love in principle eight is just a statement that you said, God designed me to win. So no one or anything can stop the plan that God has for me. I just, you know, I, I, a lot of what you were saying was definitely hit home for me um, right now at this time in my life. So there's definitely, uh, and, and you, you know, you, from touching on um, the slavery component, to, you know, giving the, that, that history uh, I thought was, was awesome. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's yeah. talk about the concept of black privilege. Let's talk about the concept of black privilege. Everybody's asking me, what is black privilege? Black privilege is this ideology that I have that I simply feel like it's a privilege to be black. And I feel like when you're talking about white privilege, you're talking about something systemic. When you're talking about black privilege, you're talking about something spiritual. And I believe that we as black people, we tap into a divine system that a lot of other cultures and races can't tap into. And that system allows us to prosper in spite of, in spite of everything that has been thrown our way, from slavery to segregation to mass incarceration to just, you know, racism in general, to being oppressed, to being marginalized. We are able to tap into a divine system. We have a privilege preordained by God that nothing or nobody can stop. And the, 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 that's why I use the example of the Lion King in the book, because when Simba got with Timon and Pumbaa, Timon and Pumbaa were afraid until they realized he didn't know he was a lion. So we have to remind ourselves that we are a great people and we come from a great lineage. How can you say that black men are gods, black women are queens? How can you say that we were kings and queens in Eastern civilization, but then turn around and say, we don't have privilege. Who says we don't have privilege? What is that based on? Is that based off the white man's definition of privilege? Is that based off what this system is showing us? Yeah, of course. But in this, this system called America, white privilege reigns supreme. But to me, I got to embrace what I am. I got to embrace how special we are as a people. I have to know that God put me here for a real reason. God blessed me with divine privilege. And I have a system that is divine that I can tap into that can help me overcome any obstacle that's put in my way. What would you think would be the first step in tapping into your black privilege if, again, you've gotten to a point where you feel like you have taken more L's than Meek Mill and you're just like, you know, well, this happened to me. When you're giving your life excuses, well, Charlamagne, you don't understand. This happened to me and I went to jail and this person died and I was broke. And, you know, like, how does a person that has piled up all of these excuses kind of step back and say, you know, I have bills to pay, I have mouths to feed, you know, how can I really start to you know, finally, whether I'm 25 or 30 or 40 or what have you, you know, really finally um, tap into doing what is purposeful and, and, and what I'm passionate about and kind of really hone into that black privilege you're referring to. Well, you got you, you got to make the same choice that I made when I was going through all of that. Like, you know, knowledge itself is very important. I remember reading a book called From Niggas to God by Akil. And the book was so easy to read, and it was like it was in, it was in capital letters and mad exclamation marks because the kill was screaming at us, you know? And he basically was saying, like, from niggas to gods, for real. It was about evolution. He was, like, saying, get out of that nigga mindset. Get out of that nigga mindset that this system has put you in. This mindset that makes you feel like, you know, your circumstances are permanent. That, you know, that, that, that where you're born 
end up. The environment you were born or raised in is how your life is always going to be. And you have to realize who you are. It's the same concept of black privilege. You got to realize who you are. If you say that, you know, you, you, you're a king or you're a queen or you're a god or you're a goddess and you're recognizing your ancestral greatness, yo, you got to start living up to that. Like, it's really just that simple. Like, you have to start looking in the mirror and saying, this is who I am, this is what I am, and this is how I'm going to be. You have to start demanding more from yourself. Because what you just said is real. In spite spite of everything that's going on out here, in spite of everything this system has thrown at us, we still got to live at the end of the day. Like, we still have to live. We still have to find purpose. We still have to, you know, find ways to, to, to prosper. We still have to find ways to make profit. But you still have to stand up on your own, too, and realize that you have to fulfill your full potential as a black man or black woman on this planet, no matter how marginalized you are, no matter how oppressed you have been. You just have to say, this is what I want. I want more for myself. I saw, uh, I don't know if it was Dr. Boyce Watkins or somebody, but I mean, it's an old model, but Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, Minister Farrakhan, uh, Marcus Garvey, all of these brothers, Martin Luther King Jr., they've all talked about the do-for-self model. That's the whole point of us coming together and becoming a community. That's the whole point of the, the, the 10% of our population to each one teach one. Like, we have to start, you know, those of us who get to a certain level, we have to start, you know, coming back and helping the communities and giving information and showing people how what they can and can't be doing, like, that's just something that you you have to do. Like I, I don't know any other way to explain it other than you have to. You have no choice. It's either get down or lay down. It's either realize that you're a great individual by nature and move towards that or just accept the white man telling you, you ain't shit, you ain't never going to be shit, you ain't never going to prosper, this world ain't meant for you to prosper, we got privilege, you don't, take what we give you, boom, that's it. No, man. No. No. That's not, that's, not, that's not the mindset to have. But that's the mindset that many of us have. And we just got to snap out of that shit. Period. Because I don't know if, if you haven't noticed by now, man, if you look at this government that we're facing right now, this administration that we're facing right now, this is the same type of government administration that we've been facing for centuries. And they are not here to help you. So if you don't think that at this moment in time, you got to help yourself and we got to help each other, I don't know what to tell you. Definitely. Now, on um, page 42, uh, in principle two, you talk about, and maybe it's 42 because it's on my phone, but you say, um, this is why I get so frustrated when I see these, when I see these young men giving themselves titles like trap niggas, D-boys, real street niggas, savages, goons. Um, but a lot of our young kids are getting these terms from the rap music that influenced you, you know, from Jay-Z to Jeezy. They've all talked about, you know, plies. They've all talked about you know, being trap niggas or goons or, you know, all those things like that. So kind of, you know, are these young men in your area or just men in general um, not products of the music and the platform that you, for example, give rappers on The Breakfast Club? Well, yeah, I can't say that they're products of the music. Well, they're definitely products of the music, but what is the music a product of? The music is a product of the streets. And, you know, music is an art form, and art, you know, genuinely reflects reality. The problem that happened in hip-hop was we celebrated the gangster culture so much and we celebrated the drug culture so much that it became profitable. So a lot of these artists started to be, be pretend to be things that they
happened, they still had a socially conscious side to them. They weren't telling you that this is what you need to be doing. They were telling you this is what we did and this is why we got out of it all. These were the harsh realities and consequences of what happened. Like, you know, your boys will flip on you and snitch on you or people around you will get killed or you end up in jail forever. Like, it was real reality. Same thing with movies. Think about growing up watching Minister Society or Juice or, you know, Billy. Those were like, those were like tragic tales that showed you what not to do. It wasn't just the emphasis on the glorification of it. Even somebody like Tupac. Like, you got rappers running around glorifying the negative aspects of Tupac, the criminal aspects of Tupac, the aspects of Tupac that ultimately got him killed. But what about the socially conscious side of Tupac? What about the socially conscious side of Jay-Z? Like, those are the things people never focus on. And yes, we do give people platforms on the Breakfast Club who do spew that quote-unquote dangerous rhetoric. But what I like about the Breakfast Club is when we're sitting down interviewing them, I'm challenging people on these narratives. You know, I'm talking to people about these narratives. I'm telling the listeners that this guy is way smarter than he's leading on. He's just playing a character. I think if we know that, if we know that a person's playing a character, it's not as detrimental as somebody pretending this is the reality of the situation. This is what I do. This is what I've always done. This is what I'm always going to do. You know, and a lot of these guys, man, have grown and evolved into great human beings. You name Jay-Z. Yo, who wouldn't want to be Jay-Z now? Like, that man has grown. He's evolved. Somebody like T.I. has grown and evolved. And you got to let, you got to give people that opportunity to grow because Malcolm X was once Malcolm Little. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct with everything that you're saying, but I just think that it has to be a balance, man. And, and we have to have more emphasis on people just being happy to be real men. Like, that criminal lifestyle don't make you a real person. Like, you like to say, oh, real nigga. He's a real nigga because he went to jail. No, he's not. He's not. He's a criminal because he went to jail. He's a real man because he takes care of his family. He's a real man because he's, 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 he's legally getting money. He's a real man because he helps the community. Like, that's what we got to get back, get back into. Definitely. Now, um, in Principle 5, uh, you talk about uh, Pedro, the intern, and, um, you know, in the instance where his ambition was seen as thirst, <sighs> Uh, and he was subsequently fired, you know, do you think that similar to you, he'll learn from his mistakes after a series of firing? Or could that have been a time when he may, was maybe your driver, that instance where you give it, where you gave him some wi- wisdom? Like when you see someone that reminds you of yourself or someone that is doing the most, how do you decide or discern like who you want to steer in, in a new direction? You just got to ask yourself if they're worth it. And also too, even if you don't feel like they're worth it, it's just your duty to do. Like, when you know better, you, you do better and you teach better. Like, I just don't like seeing people make mistakes. That's my problem with social media. Like, if I see somebody really, really wrong on social media, I find myself wanting to, you know, at them and correct them. And then I get into this whole world of words on social media because they really don't want to be corrected on social media. They just want to speak their bullshit rhetoric and just let it fly. But, yeah, you got to tell people when you see them doing it wrong. Because two things about me. Number one, I like being right. And number two, I like saying I told you so. And the reason I like saying I told you so, because all it does is reinforce to me that there's no ideas original. It's nothing new under the sun. Everything that's going on out here is a repeat. So if you see somebody doing something and you know exactly where it's leading, and you tell them, hey, you know you're headed for this if you keep doing this. And they're like, oh, 
happens, then they respect you and listen to you that much more later. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I be having so much kids say stupid things to me like, yo, Charlamagne, you're like a prophet. No, I'm not. I just lived life. I've done all of that already. I put my hand on that stove, know that the stove is hot, know that it's going to burn, and I see you doing the exact same thing. Why do you think that you can cheat what everybody else has already gone through? You can't. You can't escape that process. It's either going to happen the right way or it's going to happen the wrong way. And if I see somebody doing it the wrong way, I got to warn them. I got to tell them. Whether they listen or not, that's up to them. There's so many instances where you again may ha- be telling the truth, but it may not come off as tactful and it pisses someone off. And so um, kind of what's that balance in a sense of, you know, giving someone your your honest truth about something and not burning a bridge. And I say that specifically because like as a woman and as a black woman, I'm very I'm from New Orleans. I'm in New Orleans right now. But I was just with a Dr- Tracy G from Sway in the Morning the other day. And she was like, you're not from New York. I love Tracy. <laughs> she she was like, you give me New York vibes. And I was like, not at all. But I'm very assertive and I'm very aggressive in the way I speak. And when I come across people who want me to like listen to their music as a journalist, I'm like, I don't like it. It's whack or whatever. But sometimes I feel like... I, not that I have to hold back, but again, it I feel like it, it can be hard to want to have that Charlemagne attitude. I love I love your attitude and your outlook on things, but again, sometimes that does result in burning bridges. So I guess the question is, based on that quote, is you specifically said when you piss people off, you have to treat them with respect or pay for it later. Do you feel like your mouth has put you in those situations where you have to pay for it later? You can be very, very honest with people, and you can be very direct with people respectfully. Like, I never do anything maliciously. I just don't. Like, I, I just don't approach things maliciously. I give my honest opinion about things. I think what I was talking about when I was saying pissing people off is just basically the people you come across every day, like people that you work with every day. Like, I pride myself on, you know, being the nicest person in the room. My grandma always told me manners will take you where money won't. So I walk in the room and I say hello to everybody. I don't care who the person is, you know, what they do. I don't even got to know what you do. I just think that's a respectful thing that you should do. And I treat everybody from the, the custodian to the CEO with the same amount of respect because I know for a fact, growing up, I watched how not to treat people based off my interactions with certain individuals. Like, I talk about that when I worked with Wendy Williams and her husband, Kevin. Like, I knew when I got into a certain position, I wasn't going to talk to people the way that they did or treat people the way that they did because my mindset is if you want to see the true character of a person, watch how they treat people who can't do anything for them. Now, me talking to an artist, I'm not being malicious to that artist if I'm telling them that their music is whack. By the way, this is an artist who has mad money and mad fame and is way more popping than me. So why should he care about my critique? I'm talking about just the regular, everyday people that you meet on your come up. You never know. That intern that you shitted on might end up being the CEO of the company one day. You just never know. You just honestly never know who's who. So I just feel like you should genuinely watch how people treat people who can't do anything for them. Because it's easy to treat the stars with respect. It's easy to treat the CEO with respect. But how does he just treat the regular, everyday person, the security guard that works in the building? The waitress that's serving them is food. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I observe. And that's what I mean when I say you don't want to piss off the wrong people. Because 
you may have to, have to cross that bridge later. Like, imagine you're in a restaurant, you're pissing off the waiter or the waitress, you ain't even get your food yet. What if that person decides they want to spit in your food? You know, or drop something on the floor and put it on your plate. You call that on yourself. So it don't even have to be large things like, oh, you won't get this job or this won't happen. It could be small things like that. But I honestly, truly feel like if you don't have no malice in your heart and you're really just being honest and it's coming from a good place, I don't feel like you burn any bridges like that. I feel like you're only scripting them. Because I think about everybody in my life who was harsh with me, who gave me tough love, who told me things that I didn't want to hear in that moment. But ultimately, they ended up being really good for me. I have nothing but the ultimate respect for those people today and those are the people that I return to whenever I need that real honest advice. Definitely not. Beyond you being a walking example of there being another way, like, um, are there any mentorship programs or things going on in your dirt road <laughs> that uh, that are kind of helping pave the way for men not to to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, I mean, I have a nonprofit organization called Third Eye Awareness, and you know, for the past few years, we've done everything from do book bag drives to give away turkeys every Thanksgiving. You know, I do sponsorships for various basketball teams and football teams throughout my community. Um, this past Saturday in Columbia, South Carolina, I was the keynote speaker at this event called the C3 Conference, brought to you by Columbia Career Connect, and I was just paying it forward by sharing information that I have learned. Like, you know, I always tell people, you know, all the experiences I've had, the information I gathered, people tell me new things every day that help me to grow, so what kind of person would I be if I didn't share that back with my people? And, um, you know, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, they actually gave me my own day. I have my own day in Columbia every April 8th now. And what made me really feel good about that was it wasn't just because of my television and my radio endeavors that caused them to give me this day. It was the philanthropy that I do in the state. Um, it's a lot more that I plan to do. You know, I would love to open up a youth center, some type of big brother community mentorship program like it's just a lot of different things that my nonprofit has in the works you know and um i can honestly say that the more money i get the more i can do that's just the way it goes i mean truthfully speaking but it's not even really just about money it's just about access to resources more so than anything because this is things that i've just been doing out of my own pocket for for years and i've been able to do great things and a lot of things are just free like, information is free. Giving people knowledge is free. Giving people wisdom is free. But now I got the access to different people that I can bring in, different organizations that want to be a part of what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm learning from guys like Steve Harvey, who's a mentor of mine, and I'm watching what he's doing and getting ideas from him and, and also getting help from him in a lot of different different ways. So, yeah. I mean, that's everything you're, everything you're saying is absolutely positively true. Like, I have to do that. Like, I honestly feel like that's my sole purpose. I'm a radio personality. So as a radio personality, you're a public servant. We all should be public servants in some way, shape, or form. But when you talk about what's somebody's purpose in life, my purpose is absolutely service to others. So that's what I'm here to do. I think what's so hard for so many people these days, especially with social media, uh, is just like building 
relationships and networking in an authentic way and seeking mentorships, you know, outside of someone just trying to get your attention um, to, to be put on. So I'm not referring to that, but just if someone feels like, you know, I would love to just get some wisdom from Charlamagne, I would love Charlamagne to mentor me. Do you think that that person, for example, just has to do the work and put themselves in a position that one day they'll be seen and then you two have something to talk about? Like, for example, uh, Steve Harvey, um, you know, he's on a level that you respect and he clearly respects the work that you've put in. So again, so the question is that, do you think when people are up and coming and they're looking to people to want to be their mentors is the answer to building those relationships? Like, Hey, focus on what you're doing and it'll happen naturally. Or, you know, how should people kind of go about getting the attention of people that they admire and respect and not in doing it in an authentic way where it, it creates a lasting relationship. I, I definitely think it happens naturally. I mean, I think about the first time I met Wendy Williams, she was always somebody that was a mentor to me from afar. And I mean, she was doing radio in New York and the company that owned WBLS was in the city broadcasting. The company that owned the radio station in Columbia was in the city broadcasting. So she was syndicated on that station, Hot 1039. And she was down there one day and, you know, she was doing her show. And I walked in the studio I just started talking to her. Hey, hello, you're a big inspiration of mine. And I started trying to hand her mixtapes and tried to get her to hear a parody song. I was real pushy. I was, I was pushy. And I know that for a fact. Like, she was in the middle of her show, and I'm trying to get my board out to play this song for her. And Wendy told me straight up, yo, get the fuck out of here. I'm trying to do my show. Take that mixtape shit to my husband. I didn't get discouraged. I didn't get upset. I took that mixtape shit to her husband. And that's how that relationship first started. And then, you know, after she, after I got on her radar, when I started to put my interviews online and her producers started to hear them, Wendy started shouting me out. And when she started shouting me out, that's when I guess the respect for my, for what I do started to grow with her. So when me and her husband got, got a good relationship going, she, they asked me to come to a party. I went up to the party and she asked me to come on her show the next day. And was asking me about different interviews that I had done and different people I had met. I was there for 25 minutes, and that night they was offering me a job on her radio show. Her, Kevin's exact words was, "I can't pay you, but I can give you a place to stay." And you know, I'm like, "Cool." I took that opportunity. You know, with somebody like Steve, you know, I met. I first met Steve when I was working with Wendy at WBLS, and now he's somebody I would see in passing in the hall and say what's up and say hello and. He would say little things to me here and there, but it wasn't like a real, a real, real, real relationship. But just as over time, you know, he just was been watching what I've been doing as far as radio is concerned. And he does radio, so this is something that he has to acknowledge. He doesn't have to acknowledge it, but he chose to acknowledge. He chose to acknowledge the Breakfast Club. He chose to acknowledge me. And as far as me, I reached out to Steve first. I, I would always just big up Steve, you know, just, just as far as being a mentor and inspiration from afar. But I saw him one day, he was he was uh, riding his bike every morning, trying to get a certain amount of miles to raise money for his mentorship program. So I just, I was doing my shift. I was on the radio, but I decided to call in. And I donated some money to his, his program. And I told him, I said, Steve, you know, you've always been an inspiration to me. So this is the least I could do. But but even, even bigger than that, I want to donate my time. So if you need somebody to come down there and talk to these kids, I'm there. So he held me to that. And, you know, by me just, 
I guess paying it forward, so to speak, like really just doing something out of the goodness of my heart. Because I saw how hard Steve was working for these these kids, so I decided to donate some money and donate some time. Ended up down there with Steve at his ranch one weekend, and we've had a great relationship ever since. I was just with him last week. I was with him last week in Chicago. I did his show. I did his television show. And, you know, I, lo- I-, I-, I love Steve, man. And it-, it-, it hurt my heart when I saw everybody going in on Steve and calling him a coon and an Uncle Tom from meeting Donald Trump. And I know I'm being a little long-winded, but it just hurt my, it hurt my heart to see that because I know how much this man does, not only for, not only for kids, young black fatherless kids. He does these mentorship programs every year, and he's always doing golf tournaments to raise money for his various charities and the Hoodie Awards. And you know, you go to his whether it's Family Feud or you go to his daytime talk show, or you go to his radio show. He's employing so many black people. Like he does so much for us. So to see people just discredit all of that and just immediately call him an Uncle Tom and a coon because he chose to meet with Donald Trump. Like, come on, man. Throughout history, we've had engages and we've had resistance. We've had people who choose to engage with the administrations that oppress us and marginalize us and may not have our best interests. They choose to engage and try to get things done. Or you've had people that choose to resist, you know, and just because he's one of those guys that choose to engage, we're going to get mad at him. So I'm just happy that I know what he sat down and chopped it up with, you know, the celebrity and chief Donald Trump before. It's something I wouldn't do. But Steve said one thing to me last week. He said, if my, my, he said, if my, my personality or the perception of me has to take a hit in order for this to happen, he's fine with that. So I cannot wait until he announces what's about to happen. I can't wait. I really can't wait. But long story short, yeah, it, it goes both ways. And in all situations when it comes to mentors, you got to take initiative. Simple as that. Like, you know, people that I I am a mentee to now, they uh, they took the initiative. But it was just because I saw them doing something that I'm like, you know what, that's dope. I like what they're doing, you know. And when I like what somebody's doing, I have no problem reaching out because I'm not a selfish individual at all. Like, I, I like to see people creating their own opportunities. And when I see them creating their own opportunities, I like to put them in a position to elevate those opportunities. Yeah, I appreciate when celebrities, I like, get to speak with people in positions of power and hear their wokeness and hear what they're doing in the community because it, it really helps to, I guess, humanize you, you know, and, and, and not just make you a personality on the radio, but, you know, seeing that you're really doing things purposefully, I think is, is so inspirational. So congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that.